This episode of the Impact Quantum podcast is rated one Schrodinger and is entitled Quantum is Coming. I'm Frank Lavinia, and this is the very first episode of Impact Quantum. Quantum computing is about to radically change uh, how we live and work. So let's roll the intro. All right, with me to my, I think it's left <laughs> on the screen here, uh, is my co-host from Data Driven, Andy Lander. How's it going, Andy? Hey, Frank, it's going awesome. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've got the, I've, I've got the fever. Do you? It's not COVID. It's not Corona. It's quantum <laughs> fever. That's what I got. Um, so Andy and I have another podcast, datadriven.tv. Uh, where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. And you're probably wondering, what the heck are you data science data engineer guys doing here talking about quantum computing? For well, reals. Uh, back, let me tell you a story. Uh, in November of 2019, this is back when people would actually uh, travel places uh, <laughs> and congregate in large groups without thinking twice. <laughs> this is before the words uh, Wuhan uh, meat market um, were commonplace, before when Corona was just a beer. I attended a, a conference called MLADS, or my, uh, Machine Learning and Data Science Summit. It's an internal-only kind of uh, conference for Microsoft employees thrown by Microsoft Research, where they kind of come out of the lab and they talk to us about kind of what's around the pike. And um, this is the conference that I went to in 2016 where I had my aha moment or, you know, about getting into this field, right? I kind of, I was into data, data visualization and Power BI and kind of munging data with Excel, but the engineer was, in me was not satisfied. Then I discovered machine learning and artificial intelligence and where that was headed. And when I came back from that conference, completely switched on about this is the future, this is coming, it's here, it's, you know, it's, it's on its way. Most people thought I was crazy. I mean, even I had my doubts about it. So yeah, through uh, a number of coincidences, it took me four, uh, or, or other reasons, it took me about four and a half years or three and a half years to get back there. Um, and the first day came and went. I didn't have that aha moment. So I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's just like a once or twice in a lifetime type aha moment. It happens. doesn't happen. Sure, sure. And then on the second day, it was a hardware presentation. Now, I can't talk about everything I saw, but that's when quantum computing was explained to me and why it is the next big thing. And I knew I was on the right track because when I came back, I started telling other people that quantum is coming, quantum, quantum, quantum. I sounded yeah. again like a ranting lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of told me that maybe I'm on to something because uh, the next wave always looks crazy before it happens. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, I attended, um, I started studying uh, quantum type uh, computing articles and, and whatnot. And I even installed Q Sharp that night in the hotel. Then I opened up my um, uh, my Visual Studio and um, was like, okay, now what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and once again, um, trying to keep a growth mindset here. Um, when I first read a book on statistics, <laughs> my first reaction was, uh, what did I get myself into? Right. <laughs> but that's, so, you know, that's not uncommon, Frank. A lot of people right. come into this and, you know, I don't, when you're starting out, who knows everything you're going to learn and everything you're going to need to learn. Exactly right. And I think that there's going to yeah. be a lot of people um, that are going to be in the similar boat. And on our main show, we kind of discussed this, is that it's hard for people to think back. I mean, it's hard for people to think back, honestly, about what life was like before COVID, you know, going, yeah. getting into elevators. Like, whoa, other people on that at the same time. <laughs> um, things like that. But it's hard yeah. to go back even further to think that there was a time when only PhDs did data science, right? And there was right. a whole thing about well you have to go back to school like when i when i asked folks for advice on what to do at that summit actually in 2016 you know that one guy's like i just go back to school and get, get a phd in statistics and this is before data science programs existed at universities so this was really yeah we forget how quickly this has moved uh i mean now everybody and their cousin has a data science course and i don't mean that disparagingly i just mean no. there's yeah. just a the germans have a phrase um it's been a while since I spoke German on a daily basis, but it was Kval der Wahl, something like that. It was like the agony of choices. And um, we kind of have that now, which four years ago we didn't. But around right. three, or, three years or so ago, a guy named Siraj Raval, and I'll just drop his name. I won't say anything else opinion-wise, had the ability not so much to conduct unique and custom research on his own, uh, but he did have the gift, the true gift, his true talent was explaining these complicated data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence concepts in simple ways. Yeah. And it is a rare gift that if you can understand something, you can explain it. Now, Richard Feynman, a noted physicist, uh, he says, if you can't explain it, you don't understand it. Uh, or you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it. Something like that. I totally butchered that. No, you got it. Yeah. Um, so the key here and the goal for this show is going to be just that, like the ability to explain this um, and um, in, a, in, a, in a clear and simple way that engineers can understand. Maybe not your grandma, unless your grandma happens to be a particle physicist. can happen. <laughs> I had a great aunt who was sister to my grandmother who was an engineer, uh, which back when in the 40s and 50s was a woman engineer was, was quite an accomplishment in the military, no less, too. And it yeah. was not Grace Hopper, no. But... <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, Bill, that would have been cool. In any case, um, the key here is that we want to explain this in ways that software engineers and data engineers would understand. And that's our goal for this show. And now, the best way to set up a learning scenario, which in the last four years or so, I have made learning a priority in my life, right? Yep. I have the numbers to prove that too. 66 certifications since uh, uh, December 2016. Um, so I don't say that to show off. I just show that to say like I got, you know, it's just become who I am now. It's become a habit. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but um, <laughs> the best way to set up uh, the learning here is um, – the notion for learning is to set up a reason why, right? If you, if you want to learn something, you're going to be far more motivated and far more likely to capture that information and retain that information. And Agreed. 
So let's start there. Why? Why should you learn quantum computing? Why, why is this? Like the data science world is rocking, right? Like AI is rocking. Yeah, it is rocking. However, yeah. um, winter may be coming, right, to continue that Game of Thrones um, theme. And I'm going to try <laughs> to share my screen. And if you're listening to just the audio, don't worry, I will explain this in a, um, in a way uh, that makes sense. Um, hopefully, let's see if I get that screen up. All right. So what you're seeing here is an article. Uh, it's from VentureBeat. They basically warn researchers at MIT warn that D is approaching computational limits. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Well, I thought the cloud had infinite scalability. Well, it, it kind of does, but there is a practical upper limit that we are starting to bump up against. And this is kind of the thing that got my attention. So this article is from July, but I heard this in um, late last year, kind of about that. You know, this is becoming a problem. And let me explain why this is a problem. Um, because let's take GPT-3, for example. So GPT-3 is a, a natural language processing model. It took about 175 billion parameters in. Right, so that was just the input level, right? In terms of what it what it could do, it took a certain amount of time to train that, and it took cost somewhere between five and twelve million dollars, depending on depending on who's uh, answering the question. Right? Yeah. <laughs> GPT two only only had one and a half billion parameters, right? Yeah. So that's a that's an order of magnitude greater, right? One seventy five from one point five. If there was ever going to be a GPT four. We're now looking at um, we're now looking at I totally lost my train of thought. Okay. I thank you for handling the comments, Andy. Yeah, that's what <laughs> we, I'm I'm listening to. We are streaming this live. I actually um um I might edit this part out of the uh, the, the RSS feed, but um the um uh, I announced the show on Rupesh's show on Wednesday. He has an Instagram live thing going on, so I announced the show. So that gave me a little bit of extra leverage to do this um, on time today. Um, but the short of it is, is that we are hitting these limits. So you can imagine what a GPT-4 um, would have, would have trillions of parameters. And I don't know if this is going to be, what's the cost going to be? Is it going to be an exponential rise? But at some point, we are going to run out of compute um, and certainly doing this at scale. We are going to run out. What this means is somewhat concerning, kind of, you know, three to five years out, is that the innovation in research is going to stop, right? Yeah. And the, once the innovation in research stops, the new products that come out, that get venture funding, that ultimately get bought by some of the big tech firms, is going to start slowing down. That is going to... Call, that's what we call winter. Right. Right. That's AI winter. And if you think this is implausible, I urge you to take a look at history because this has happened before. And we are at the early stage of this potentially happening again. Predicting the future is hard, by the way, in case you didn't know. <laughs> uh, but if you look at the advancements that were made in artificial intelligence from, I mean, Alan Turing um, came up with the notion of the Turing test kind of defined kind of the core principles of what we call the field of artificial intelligence today. 
this is a 70-year-old. We're in the seventh decade of AI, right? Now, to read some of the breathless press releases from various companies, you would not think, you would think that AI started about 2009, 2010. <laughs> not true. <laughs> but at every stage that there's been advancements in AI, and I'm talking going back to the 60s, um, and even in the 80s, when the concept of neural networks were really pioneered and kind of used, at every time, there was a burst of innovation. And at every time, the innovation outpaced compute's ability to keep up. Yeah. So then that led to AI winters. So including the worst AI winter so far has been um, from the um, mid-80s till about 10, maybe 12 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that research doesn't happen in that field in the meantime. I actually took my first uh, course in artificial intelligence in 1994. No, it was the second semester. So it was, uh, it was 1995 or 1994. Wow. And Back I was... Back years began with a one. Right? Crazy. There are people that are probably watching this that aren't even that weren't even live then. And my professor at the time, noted researcher in the field, ex-IBM doctorate, distinguished engineer, I mean smart guy. But he was like, Oh, this is gonna be the next paradigm, this is gonna be it. And basically it was prologue. It was a prologue programming course. Yeah. And the final, I kept waiting for like, okay, where's the AI coming from? Like, where's the AI coming from? And, and that aha moment never came. It was just basically kind of a hybrid of inf inference and recursion. It was like, that's it. And a lot of these expert systems that were, that he was an expert in expert systems. So that's very meta right there. Were essentially, <laughs> if you kind of peel the covers back, they were essentially just a ton of if that statements. Yeah. Again, Where's the AI in that, right? <laughs> right? Right. So that really set me up for to not be a non-believer. So so much to the point when I saw some of the early work before they were cognitive services. This was kind of they were just still in the research lab. They yeah. had a DC tech fair, which is essentially uh, researchers come out to DC um, at the Microsoft office to kind of show off what they're working on, and a number of it was computer vision and artificial intelligence. And I saw this thing where. He, he, he uploaded a picture to this uh, program and it, it's, it was a picture of a cat. It was a picture of a cat and he uploaded it and the description came back saying, hey, this is a picture of a cat. And I'm like, I looked, I looked at that and I was like, my first part of it was like, yeah, that's cool. Then my cynic kind of came out and I was like, yeah, but it's probably some kind of weird inference recursion thing going on. So I kind of walked away and continued filming the rest of it. I actually filmed the event. You can check out the video on YouTube, which we will link in the show notes. So that left me very skeptical of what the state of the art was. Right. It wasn't until I saw kind of what the real state of the art was at a follow-on event a year later, the aha moment that I had, the Blues Brothers moment, as we've often referred to in a data-driven.tv show. So that takes us to today 2020 or 2019 is uh when i was there i actually recorded a dated point right in front of the building i made note to record outside because of various reasons and that got my attention and as luck would have it 
fate, the universe or whatever. I started getting back into it a few weeks ago when this start of article started popping up that you know we are dangerously close to an AI winter because right. of just the nature of how dense we can pack transistors. Moore's law may be coming to an end. Wow. And if it doesn't come to an end, it's definitely not going to be the 18-month cycle or less than 18-month cycle. It's going to start taking longer. Now, we right. take that for granted. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. No, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, We yeah. take it for granted. I hear my phone buzzing, but I don't know where it is. But your <laughs> phone, here it is, your phone has more compute power than NASA had um, to send during the Apollo 11 program, which let that sink in. Right, you have more power than that. You're more network connectivity. Right, we are spoiled. It has been Moore's law has been in, in existence for decades as well. We don't know what it's like to not have Moore's law. That is going to cause some serious problems for just computation in general. Right, not just AI. Right. So in this, enter quantum. And this is why quantum is 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 coming, so to speak. Um, every major cloud provider has or is about to have a quantum service. So clearly there's something going on, right? There's a lot of money being thrown at this. There's a lot of research being done. I am not alone in my belief that quantum is coming. It's the question of when is it coming and how Absolutely. will it manifest itself? Right. So if you... Go ahead, Andy. No, I'll just I'll agree with you again. And I think what you said, it's easy to gloss over what you just said about how how used to Moore's Law we are. And we'll put a link into, you know, you can search, certainly search this up, uh, search this on uh, Wikipedia. But it's the idea that it's every 18 months that the amount of transistors we can pack into an integrated circuit doubles. Right. So, and it's not that it, I don't know a better way to describe it. I mean, I could actually use, um, you know, examples that we've all experienced from the recent pandemic. We're recording this on August 14th of 2020. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with the repercussions of, of a global pandemic or a deadly global pandemic. And there's a lot of things now that we didn't know that we didn't know uh, right. before this hit. And it's that kind of thing. Moore's Law, it falls into that category of we don't know what we don't know. So right. it's it's asking a fish, what does wet feel like? Um, you know, how do we, you know, how, how do we mentally think of a world or envision uh, every 18 months not doubling the number of transistors on an integrated circuit? And we can't. Right. We can't even envision that at this point. I mean, even think back to like your personal computer, right? Yeah. Like there was a time in in the '90s, primarily, right? You you would buy a computer, and the joke was it would be obsolete before you even took it out of the box, right? <laughs> right. Because you know the Pentium ninety, you know Pentium ninety, and then you know, two weeks later the Pentium one twenty or one thirty three hertz came out, right? Right. If you're younger, think about the phones. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, there was a time when every time a new phone come out, you wanted it because it, it needed to do this. But I my my phone is, I think I have the the Samsung eight, right? So that's not <clears throat> hardly cutting edge, and I'm okay with that because right. I don't really feel like dropping a thousand dollars on a new phone 
even at the rate I crack the screens. It's just not <laughs> practical for me. But Same also, here. my my desktop PCs, and I still have desktop PCs. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't bought a desktop PC in at least five years, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that because I don't really tax the processor. I mean, I do when I do video rendering and stuff like that, but I'm okay right. with letting it rest overnight. I don't feel the compulsion to buy a new computer every six to 12 months like I did back in the day. Yeah. You know, and there's no need. So we, we are really spoiled. And this is, you know, this is right now, I think, going to start being an upper speed limit for folks in research. But it's just a matter of time before that kind of reaches us kind of in the consumer space and kind of, well, for data engineers and data scientists, it's going to hit a little sooner than that. So yeah, why and- is that? Yeah, we've seen this undulation happen. Right. I mean, with the first winner we talked about, arguably the second winner that probably ran from sometime in the 80s to, you know, the late 2000 aughts, I'll say, right. you know, 200 years. But um, and, and we and, and here's the thing. Um, if you do an analysis on those time spans, you'll see that they are uh, they are shrinking. And, and there's every indication that the next uh, the next you know winter that that we're coming into won't really begin for a few years right. and that it will also shrink and it may take uh, here I go Frank it may shrink in a, a you know in a quantum leap fashion in a quantum leap forward <laughs> uh, it might and that's might. where I think that's where we're going you know with the show here is how does quantum impact you know, the, the worlds of machine learning and data science and AI. And uh, we both know that it's a, it's a big swap. We also both know, because of Q-sharp, you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that some of the algorithms that have been developed in this tool that's, for all intents and purposes, hypothetical, <laughs> you know, it allows you to code in this language, in this, uh, for these, you know, this hardware that, exists it's not that it doesn't exist today but it's really rare there's a handful of quantum computers on the planet uh, as we speak but the advances that they've made just thinking about how will we code in it what what will q sharp algorithms look like how will they perform and in doing that we've already made improvements in you know in the performance of these algorithms and here's the exciting part we are still a number of years away from an actual real quantum computer uh, being practical, uh, cost-effective, and feasible. Yeah. However, if you look at this chart, um, you can see that, I mean, it's still a number of years away mm-hmm. before this is going to be kind of a thing, right? A thing that you can, you know, the next iPhone is not going to be the iPhone Q, right? I mean, that's still... <laughs> That might be the iPhone 25 or 30 or or whatever. But the reality here is, and this is the thing that blew my mind, is the notion of simulating quantum algorithms on conventional hardware. Right, right. And that's what's different about this whole thing, I think. Right. I, I, I've, I, we've, you and I have both worked with simulators. This isn't anything new. Right. We've seen code simulation, but what we haven't seen I'll I'll say it this way: What I have never seen prior to a language like Q Sharp is mm-hmm. being able to simulate responses on on a platform that is 
being created at the time. Right. And I think, I think it's interesting. It's kind of like emulation, but I think it's a little more than that. Oh yeah. Um, it's what's interesting is, so here's kind of the thing. And I recently had a discussion about this. I I've, so since that kind of that aha moment, I've actually may have given four customer presentations on Azure quantum. And I've delivered uh, two community presentations on Azure Quantum. Not too bad for a technology that kind of, <laughs> you know, doesn't exist. You know, I mean, right. I mean, Azure Quantum is very real. IBM has an offering. Uh, Amazon just announced something. Google's working on it. D-Wave is a separate company. Um, there's another company um, that was very quiet. And then, you know, they all privately funded. And I think they're... They might have figured something out the way they're acting in terms of filing for IPOs and stuff like that. So a lot of interesting things in this field right. are happening right now, but you don't have to wait because here's the thing. Simulating quantum computing on standard hardware or even specialized hardware that exists out of regular silicon right. is here. It's today. Um, there's a YouTube video um, that uh, as a Fujitsu has a, Kind of like a kind of like a GPU, right? I know a lot of people are going to write me and be like, "That's not really," yeah. But in the sense that you can offload some work from the CPU onto GPU, like you could with dare I say WPF applications, um, or any other thing like that, or yeah. neural network training, um, you could theoretically do that. Now these these machines are not cheap now, but here's the rub. Here's the real business value. This is the thing you want to pay attention to. There are a number of, and that's why this fancy slide up, but there's a number of problems that can't be solved with conventional compute. It would take the age of the universe or a very long time right. to solve these problems of conventional compute with conventional algorithms. Quantum computing, a real quantum computer, uh, would be able to do it significantly faster. We're talking things like, you know, the... the does P equal NP type problems, like the really kind of traveling salesperson thing, like that sort of stuff is very difficult for classical computing to accomplish. With quantum, it will take, you know, seconds or minutes, right? Hours, right? Kind of what, what we're used to now with regular compute. But these are much bigger problems. Problem is we are some years away from that being affordable and realistic, right? Yep. Now, here's the cool thing. Here's the thing that is not immediately obvious. What if you were to simulate a quantum computer on conventional hardware? You don't get the answer in seconds, but you don't get the answers in hundreds of thousands of years either. Right. It could take 10 months, could take six months, could take a year. But the idea is that it's possible in a, and not only in our lifetimes, but in a way that it could actually produce business impact. Yeah. That's explosive. It is. In my mind. I think it's, because it's you, very easy to look at that and, and just, you know, and be blase, be blase in that yes. kind of response. It's like, what? You're telling me this problem is going to take weeks or months to solve. And it's like, but you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> the recursion. If you asked me a few months ago, I would have said this would have taken 10,000 years. Right. And, and just people don't, you know? it, it's going back to your original class experience, Frank. You know, the guy right. was talking serious, you know, AI, recursion. 
that's a huge part of this. You just you keep recursing, you get the answer and store it. You get to recurse again and get that answer and store it. And then you can calculate right. your probabilities. And you know that that takes forever if you're doing you know this process. And even with parallel computing, it takes forever. Right. Well, so. parallel computing, I think, is kind of bridges the gap where we don't notice that Moore's law is not as spry and young as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it does help. Yes, it does help. We can kind of ignore that. It's the um, um, it's the stuff you rub on your joints when they're sore, like it, or or the Advil that you take to to make those aches go away. Like you can forget that there's underlying problems, right? But I mean, that's really the key here. And I think you you, you hit the nail on the head when you open up Q Sharp and Q Sharp, and there's more than just Q Sharp now. It's quantum language. There's there's Circ. Um, there's another language. There's uh, extensions to Python. Um, I forget what it's called, but basically you can write quantum code in Python. And ultimately, it's going to enable all sorts of new algorithms because you're adding that extra logic gate. Um, right. That, you, you know, because you have this third state. So if you think about the old school ways of logic gates, and this is stuff that realistically, I, I haven't seen this since I was taking in university, right? I mean, this is not, this is probably not taught in a lot of, I mean, the logic tables are probably taught in these kind of these learn to code boot camps and such, but the, the actual, how that happens and is manifested in electrons and circuits right. is probably not. Because again, we, we have the luxury of being completely oblivious to this sort of thing. See, I <laughs> built these circuits, Frank. I mean, I, we right, were on right. a board putting transistors Together. There's a reason why you're here, man. <laughs> Back in the day, we used to carve our own chips out of wood. Out of wood. Um, yeah. <laughs> kidding. Kidding. But we so, did. So, I mean, I would say, I would say what's fascinating about this is that if you look at this, um, you know, this is going to change how things are done at this level of detail. Because ultimately, yeah. with, with tr conventional circuits, you are dealing with the power of electrons. Right, electron mm -hmm. flow is not is flow, right? It's binary, right? On, off, zero, right. zero. Right. With quantum, you're taking advantage of some of the effects of quantum physics here, and this is what makes it hard. This is what also makes it exciting, is that you add the the, the ability of uncertainty, right? Is it is is the state going to be represented as one or zero, or could it be both, right? And right. in future shows, we'll kind of explain how can how does one plus zero equal something other than one, right? <laughs> We will explain that, but here's here's a hint if you're impatient. You're not adding integers. You're adding vectors. But don't right. um, I explained that to a, a guy uh, I work with who, who has a long history in, in designing circuits and servers and stuff like that, and I could see like that was the explanation that got to him. He was like, aha. And for me, that's how I had my aha moment too. Yep. But yep. because you're changing these logic gates, you have entirely new operators and stuff. So um, there was a Hadamard gate, right? I saw the, Q, the, the first Q-sharp code I saw was basically it was, it was um, dealing with all these different operations and stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. So, so as a software engineer you, or anyone who wants to write these algorithms, you're going to have to kind of relearn kind of the core fundamental stuff. And that's... A good time to plant the trees, you know, ten years ago. Absolutely, and I'll just throw throw mm -hmm. into this that I I love 
uh, matrix math. I always have. I've just been drawn to it um, since I, way before I had, you know, we're talking, I don't know, Frank, 45 years ago or something before I had any use for it at all. But right. I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm not super smart when it comes to math, but I'm definitely attracted to to some of these things. So, you know, vectors and set math, I was always kind of attracted to that matrix math. And it's a, a great time, I think, to, to do a, a, to point out that Frank's got a throwback to matrix math behind him. That's, that's why I have it on. Um, <laughs> if you're watching the video, I have a, I have a six monitor setup. It's where I do all my video editing and stuff like that. Um, and um, it, I have the, the major screensaver because it looks like I'm in the bridge of the Nebuchadnezzar, as, uh, as I've been told. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, that's really the key, is that this is the time to learn. Are you going to be writing quantum you know, production Q-sharp code tomorrow? Probably not. Next week? Also probably not. But this is going to be a thing. And I, I predict that you know, in five years' time, you're going to have recruiters saying, hey, do you have 10 years' experience in Q-sharp? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So even though the language is maybe uh, two years old, you could have five years experience in five years of Q sharp. True. Um, maybe not the 10 or the 20, but I see a similar curve. I see a pattern recurring. And that's what data scientists do. We find patterns. And Very true. so in future episodes, we'll be getting more into kind of, you know, what does it mean to have multiple states at once right what does superposition mean what can yeah. that do uh in the meantime um i am i am continually learning and reading i have this book here quantum computing in applied approach i've written a couple of things based on my understanding and um on linkedin articles i'm going to blog a lot about this i'm going to tweet a lot about this but um you know the best way to get information out i think andy and i have seen is through a podcast yeah now, we are lucky to start this podcast also as a video feed, too. So there'll be sometimes you, you just have to watch the video. I my best to explain things if you're listening to this only on the podcast feed. But, but there are going to be some concepts that are going to be hard to get your head around. We'll do screenshots and put them out or something. We are experimenting. And the idea for this show only came about uh, at the, on July 31st of this year. So if you're familiar with the data-driven, it took us about, uh, what would you say, Andy, about four or five months? Easy. Yeah, it was much The first show from, from ideation to execution. This time yep. I'm doing it in just under two weeks. It's or because you rock, Frank. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> this is not the first rodeo, so it definitely helps <laughs> to go a lot faster. True. True. So with that, one of the problems we, we, we know we're going to have with the show is – Andy's designed electronic circuits. I know my way around these logic gates, but I'm not a quantum physicist. I never even played one on TV. Same I can't here. go anywhere in a quarantine, so I can't even stay in a Holiday Inn Express, Andy. It's that bad. <laughs> so we are going to need help. So if you have experience with quantum physics and you can help us explain these topics, our audiences as uh, primarily software engineers uh, and developers. Data people. Data people. Um, of course, I love my data. Pe I'm a data peep now. You um, are. So it's definitely gonna it's definitely gonna need to help if you anyone in, with experience in matrix math or linear algebra will help. 
true story, actually. The second time I presented this to a customer, Azure Quantum to a customer, somebody in the audience was also fascinated with quantum computing. And he actually has a degree in econometrics, which essentially is linear algebra applied to um, economics. So he, I, I told him, I was like, I mean, this, this could be your next career if you wanted it to be because you, you have the math already. Yep. Like, and you can code. I mean, if you think back to the, the, the three circle, uh, three, the Venn, Venn diagram of the three circles of, you know, what made a data scientist a data scientist in the early 2010s, they, were, they had the code, they had the math, and they had the subject matter expertise. He already has two in this field. Right. And uh, he, he is a subject matter expert on some things. But I'm just saying, like, anyone who kind of knows linear algebra or matrix math, depending on what you want to call it, has uh, a significant bump in this. And this... This is going to do for um, for folks who know that level of mathematics and quantum physics, particle physics. It's going to do for them what data science and AI did for statisticians. Suddenly, they were rock stars. I think you're going to see that here. Totally agree. It's going to be fun, and it's definitely exciting and new. Uh, as some of our listeners are pointing out here, while we're live on LinkedIn Live, yes. Um, yeah, they are, they're excited about it as well. Um, you and I have lived through a number of these, Frank. I, and I don't know what the right term is for them, but they're definitely these, you know, these points and these peaks. Um, and inflection technology. point? Is that the word oh, you're looking for? That's a, yes, inflection points and just technology in general. And I see them about once a decade. I'm just kind of yes. throwing that out there. And it's always something new, right? It's never... Um, for me, it, I wasn't in, uh, th at least I wasn't deep enough into technology in the 80s to see the, you know, the AI bump that happened there. But um, I was around for the web, you know, and, uh, you know, business web, and I was around for microservices um, and the cloud. Uh, and this, I think, is the next big thing. I think quantum is going to impact everything. And it, it because it touches because it's definitely infrastructure, right? We're talking about hardware. And, and because the coding principles are there as well, it touches both hardware and software. And you know, I can't remember, um, I can't remember this happening on, you know, at this level, at the scale at the same time. I just, I think this is gonna be the biggest one uh, in my 45 years of a hobbyist computer person and then professional. Yeah, and everything we've, everything we know Everything we know about computing has the assumption that it's binary. It's everything we've run. Right. Whether you're doing your math homework, talking to Siri or Cortana or Alexa, whether you're arguing with strangers on the Internet, <laughs> yeah. it's all digital, right? It's all that digital state, and it's always been on electrons, right? It's called electronics. Exactly. Um, it's, you know, we have, we have really taken, if you kind of, if you, I, I love history, so if you kind of take this back further, right, society, as we know it, was founded uh, after the agricultural revolution where we could have a stable supply of food and could stay in one place, right? You don't build cities if you have to forage in the forest or across the plains every, every couple of days, right? You just don't. <clears throat> exactly. And so our first thing we, we kind of harnessed was the power of the seed. Then, during the um, 
the Industrial Revolution, we harnessed originally the power of steam and the power of kind of burning fossil fuels, if you will. Right. Or the power of, of fossil fuels or hydrocarbons. Um, then we got into the ability of harnessing the electron, right? In the middle of last century, we got into, you know, the atomic age, right, where we were, we were harnessing the power of atoms. I think the 21st century is largely going to be defined by how do we harness quantum quantum particles. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the next wave. And, and you know, if you – there's not a lot of other podcasts about quantum computing right now. I think that's going to change. <laughs> Yeah, part of the reason I wanted to execute in two weeks rather than five months. But if you do a search now on, you get some interesting results if you just do a search on a podcast directory on quantum, right? <laughs> it tends to be Absolutely. more metaphysical than than about either than about kind of quantum computing, certainly, or science of quantum mechanics. But there's a few. There's a there's few. A few. There's a few. I'm not, I'm not saying we're the first, you know. Right. Yeah. But, we're definitely... um, but I'm just saying, like, um, you know, that's kind of where we're. I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that whenever a new technology or, or class of technology comes out, there's always a lot of science fiction and kind of hype around that technology. And that's good because that inspires the next generation of engineers, right? Totally. Um, but, you know, if you think about the, the first, uh, arguably the first science fiction series was about Frankenstein. And that was Mary Shelley. It, it, electricity was the magic factor that made the dead come to life, right? Right. You see throughout history, if you look at old like sci-fi films in the 50s, right? It was atomic this, atomic that, right? So you're going to start, I think, as this kind of starts disseminating throughout the, 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 the world, you're going to see quantum kind of pop up in, in these science fiction things. Yeah, right? absolutely. The, um, we have a couple questions, Frank, if I can. I do. I do. Uh, so one is, and I think you've been answering this one uh, throughout the show, is how is the butterfly effect an exception in quantum mechanics. So <laughs> I'm not qualified enough yet to, to answer that question. That would, the butterfly effect is, um, I thought, a, a, a proving of mechanics. I didn't think it was an exception. It was the idea that a butterfly can flap its wings in Singapore and cause a tornado uh, in Kansas or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, now, and I totally agree with, uh, with you on that. I, you know, I, I, I I think it's early. I think it's early to you know to even answer that question or right. answer. But you know, it's but you um, are a physicist or you know one. We're happy to have them on the show. We'll yeah, record on audio or video. We just wanted to do a video for this one. Uh, I see the other question is from Yasmin. Mm -hmm. uh, is this a series? Yes, it is. It is a new podcast. Uh, we are streaming this live to do the recording. Um because we want to be innovative, but also it actually makes production faster, believe it or not. Like once you, <laughs> once you go through the trouble of doing it by video, the end post-production to turn this into a podcast is a lot easier than you would think. Um, well, so yes, it's easy. Series. it was easier for us earlier than some because Frank built a suite of awesome tools. Thank you. Um, that he's had up in, um, it was in Azure VMs, I think, to start with. I'm not, I yes. don't know if it's still there or not. It's and an it's Azure like, web service now. Yeah. yeah, like three years. We've had, mm -hmm. I say we, Frank, Frank's had this, and he'll just drop the video in there, and it separates out the audio for us. And I think it was actually sending it over to the site and um, getting everything ready at datadriven.tv. 
Um, recently, you added um, automation around uh, transcribing. Yes. Well, that's um, still semi-automatic, but yeah. Semi-automatic? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but we've had, Frank would just drop a URL in the bucket. It's kind of where we went to, a URL into the text text box and push the button. And a few minutes later, we'd have audio sitting over at datadriven.tv. Magic. Yeah, it's pretty Magic, cool. Frank. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud of my my tools. And there are they're kind of they're speaking of Frankenstein, they're like there are like this Frankenstein mix of kind of like off the shelf services and stuff I've built. Mm-hmm. So um I call that automation. Yeah, it's the, hmm? <laughs> I call that RPA, automation. It's the, it's the new yeah. hotness, robotic process automation. There we go. So I think we've kind of covered a thing that I think is reasonable in terms of the first episode. We are gonna have more of these episodes. We are going to be kind of limited in the sense of having guests uh, because there's not a lot of quantum um, computing experts in the world right now. But that's also the opportunity. (laughs) That's also the opportunity. It gives us a chance to grow. It gives us a chance to kind of take the, 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 um, the, the input here and kind of digest it and expose it to uh, really kind of a, you know, a trailblazer in that thing. And that's, uh, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be fun. Totally agree, Frank. I'm glad to be along for the ride. Wouldn't have it any other way, dude. Hey, brother. Yeah, man. So I appreciate uh, folks that tuned in here on live and asked uh, great questions. I love this about streaming uh, that we can interact yeah. with the audience as as we go. Um, the yes, absolutely, Yasmin. As Frank said, this is going to be a um, it's going to be a series. Uh, we're kind of debating. It may actually turn into its own podcast. We'll see. We'll see if we can get enough guests. Right, to, right. A lot of that's going to depend on how much is it going to cost to get another hosting. <laughs> <laughs> and well, it could still be technically another. Well, you know, what another what, what I can do without it at additional cost was right. um, is have another RSS feed and have a website, have a web page that'll live off the data driven thing. So this is going to be kind of a. Yeah, like a spin-off series, like the what Space Nine was to the next generation. There we go. Which that worked out really well. Yeah. <laughs> so far so good. Um, you know, we have the 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 cool sounding dubstep intro music and stuff like that. Love it. We now have the AI ability to use an AI to generate the custom lead-ins and stuff like that. And uh, we are always looking for sponsors because we have bigger and grander plans. So our mission is to help people grasp. Uh, these different problems that you know when I first got into data science there was definitely like this this clash of kind of the people who had been in in academia yeah. assuming that in order to do data science, data science you had to be one of those researchers right there was a clash and you know I think we're going to see the same thing here right yeah most people were not interested in in business about quantum computing up until you know maybe five or six companies a few years ago, but you're going to see this kind of explode. So you're going to see a lot of these folks who traditionally been in academia kind of thrown into uh, roles of business, you know, in, in kind of the business world, and they're going to have to deal with practitioners, as they as they called me uh, in the early days. Yeah, um, one gentleman in a tweed suit, and this was July too in D.C. So if you're wearing tweed in July in D.C., <laughs> I mean. You committed. You're like the Mandalorian. Like this is the way. Like you don't take off that tweet even in the heat. Um, he he was sipping tea in a very posh kind of British thing. I'm so glad we now have practitioners like you at these events. 
I was like, yeah, I tell if I was being insulted just now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll but, tell but you, he, I remember going through that. Um, yeah. You, you, you and I both go through it. You more than me, because I never made a claim to data science. I always stuck with, you know, data engineering and I'm comfortable there. I, I'm glad for folks like you and the data scientists that we've interviewed on the show. And, yeah. you know, anal- analytics print, uh, practitioners, analysis, pra- business uh, analysis pros. But one of the things that happened is there were two or three uh, guests early on the show, mm-hmm. uh, data-driven show, that uh, you posed that question to. And no one could question their credentials as data scientists. That's right. And, and, and they did not have PhDs. They, they all, I think one of them did. And but We but did have some PhDs responded. in there, yeah. Yeah, but even then, they all responded the same way. No. <laughs> and right. I think we were, you know, we we talk a little bit about how we started data, you know, data driven as, as a little reactive in that. I, I'm not so sure. I think we caught it in the middle of its transition, at least. Oh, we that. totally did. And, and I would like to imagine yeah. that we had a little bit of help <laughs> in that transition. So we so were one of the little ants pushing it, uh, pushing around, the, <laughs> you know, the big leaf that fell off in the sky. I don't know, whatever the thing is. But I, I mean, like I, I think we were definitely part of the zeitgeist, if you will. And and I yes. think that there's going to be another shift and I, I want to be more, I want to, I want to pay it back. Like, you know, we had a recorded right. another show where we were announcing this show um, on data driven. And I want the opportunity to pay it back to, because it was paid forward to me. Like, you know, people right. said, you don't need a PhD to do this. You can, you know, reshift your career towards this. And I'm telling you the same thing. Yeah. Now, the only thing at this point is I know quantum computing is going to be a big shift for this industry. What I can't tell you, is it going to be in five years or 10 years? I don't right. know. And right. I don't know who the winning team is. So full disclosure, if you see behind me watching this, that, that's my old license plate when I lived in Virginia, right? Tablet. Because I was a tablet PC MVP. So I was doing handwriting recognition and working on mobile kind of tablet devices five to six years before the iPad came out. Yeah. Right? So I can kind of sometimes get a glimpse of what's next. I don't always necessarily pick the right way it's going to manifest itself. So, you know. Yeah. Or how long it'll take. I I swore up and down that 2007 would be the year that, you know, tablets would take off. It wasn't. But you know what? It did take off. I I could be off on this time. I was When it came to the web, I was about on, on schedule with that one. Yeah. So, but again, you know, so little, little bit of, uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Is this going to happen? Yes. Is it going to happen yeah. in three years? Totally. I don't know. Five years? I don't know. But I do think that if you look at the amount of money that's being thrown at this from Microsoft, from Google, from AWS, from D-Wave and all these other kind of other firms that are doing this, IBM as well, this is going to happen. Don't know when but yeah. it's going to happen. And we also know, too, just by the nature of these things, that it's going to start small. It's small now. Right. And right. it's going to grow from here. And at some point, it's going to hit one of those inflection points that I was searching for that word uh, earlier. Absolutely. It's, and it's probably going to hit seven uh, in its, you know, as we go. And although Frank and I can't predict when it will happen, we're both in total agreement that it will. Well, again, I mean, more than just these MIT researchers have started sounding the alarm that we are hitting in a computational limit. And then that is going to be the next opportunity is solving that. 
Sure. So cool. So thanks for everyone who, who are watching us live. If you're watching the recording, thank you. Uh, thank you for the comments. Um, and thank you, Andy, for, for catching all those. Um, we definitely we have a domain name. It's impactquantum.com, the impact of quantum. We're good. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. And you have a great day. Thanks for listening to the very first full episode of Impact Quantum.